Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Business Leaders Radio. Now, here's your host, John Ray. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to Business Leaders Radio. I am John Ray, and we have another great guest on today's show. Adam Scharfer is with us. Adam is with Not In Sales. Yes, you got that right. The company is named Not In Sales. And get this, his title is Not A Salesperson. (laughs) Adam, welcome. Hey, John, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, I'm delighted to have you and and, uh, anxious to get to the first question, which is you're obviously not in sales. So let's talk talk about that. How are you serving folks out there? All right. So a um, little bit of a background, I guess, on, on my career. I started uh, very much not in sales, you know, so it's quite the opposite. Uh, I was a comp sci grad. And uh, by the way, most uh, computer science people I've met do not have aspirations of being salespeople. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's a surprise to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't necessarily uh, either, but I also didn't want to be sitting at a desk coding all hours of the day, you know, so much. So for me, it was like an, uh, one of those I'll figure this out down the line, what I really want to do when I grow up type thing. So my first, I guess, quote unquote, real job out of college was writing code <laughs> and uh, working with databases. It was for a, um, a company that implemented an asset management solution called IBM Maximo. So there's a lot of uh, business partners out there. There's a business partner that's implementing that huge as a commercial off the shelves product that was tailorable. Um, so at an early stage, I was exposed to all kinds of customers because you know every entity, public, private sector, has assets that they need to maintain. You look at manufacturing plants, you look at uh, water, wastewater, power generator. I mean, like everybody has assets, and so the maintenance on that. So I really enjoyed attending like the functional meetings and having. I really had a knack for understanding the user requirements and uh, quickly planning and implementation for their specific use cases. So uh, over time, I was doing less technical work and leading more customer-facing meetings, managing projects. And then much later down the line, I was leading the department, the operations department with a team of about 25 people responsible for the the entire ops group for all the work that the company had. I guess it was our East Coast ops, so it was everything east of the Mississippi River. That was our good dividing line. And so... I was pulled into, you know, because that role, I was pulled into supporting a lot of times the sales processes because we had to keep our team busy. We had to keep them billable. Um, So I find myself writing proposals, attending the trade shows and conferences, um, presenting on the company's value add and pretty much supporting both sales and delivery. Um, And so it was a a busy job. Learned a lot. I was very fortunate for it. And, uh, you know, things changed for me about six and a half years ago. I uh, started a family, became a dad. and I really just needed more control over my schedule. And I was okay with the idea of maybe not running a department of 25 people at that time. And I thought to myself, look, I've ba- basically been unofficially doing sales for all these years. Uh, why not give it a shot in, a, in an official, more official capacity, right? So I moved over to another company that was focused on implementing the same product, still on the Maximo side. But my role this time around was explicitly sales. Oh, it was sorry. I, I mean, account. My title was account manager. You know, because we have to have these titles that avoid the word sales. So, account manager, <laughs> account executive, solution advisor. You know, because there's the stigma around it, right? Sure. Yeah. So, so ironically, it ended up being a much easier job. Um, give it. You know, as long as I was hitting my quota, I really didn't have to worry about managing an entire team and all the extra stuff. And it was so helpful having the technical background, as well as the project delivery experience when it came to being in these competitive situations. 
because I didn't have to feign understanding or empathy of a given challenge a client was having because I was fortunate enough to have experience as a developer and as a business consultant from these other roles. Mm-hmm. I never really had to go into you know what you'd call sales mode uh, because these were real conversations that built trust and confidence in what I was doing. I never really wanted to be just the sales guy. Um, and from what I observed, my clients didn't really want that either. So it really worked. And so, you know, after several years in sales, doing it this way and observing how other sales calls are conducted, I thought, you know, why can't we take a more refreshing approach like this everywhere? What's really stopping us? I constantly see technically minded people killing it on sales calls while the actual salesperson who contributed next to nothing of value, uh, you know, the tech guy will be the first one to say when asked about price or anything like that, like, oh, I'm not in sales. You'll have to talk to the uh, salesperson about that. Mm -hmm. And they almost single-handedly landed the account and are often the most humble person there. And meanwhile, you have the sales guy getting in the picture like, yeah, we did it, bro. And it's like, all right, come on. (laughs) So that's how I got to to not in sales, you know, from a brand, you know, cute branding perspective, have a little fun with that, right? So often those who are most effective at truly conveying value of a service or a solutions are the same ones that are telling you that they're not in sales. So that's how we got here. I want you to say that last sentence one more time. I, that, I want to underline that for people. So the most, the people that's, you know, and this is not a, you know, an always type thing, but yeah. more often from what I've observed is that those who are most effective in truly conveying value of a service or solution are the same ones that are telling you that they're not in sales. And that's the irony of the whole thing, because they're the ones that probably made the thing happen. Wow. That is, that is priceless right there. I'm, I think we can end this interview right now. I mean, okay. that, that, that alone, uh, yeah, that alone is worth, uh, people listening to this interview. So thank you for that because there are so many, then this is not just true for technology, right? This is true for anyone that's uh, the, the, that technician in professional services, right? That CPA or whatever that yeah. doesn't, doesn't think they're in sales, right? Uh, um, um, they don't realize how effective they can be. It's true. I, it really is. And like, you know, you, you don't have a lot of people that want to get in front of people and present and stuff like that. But you know what they find when you play to people's comfort and strengths of, like, look, you've talked, you've built half this product. How are you not the best person to talk about? It? Well, I'm not really good at with people and all that stuff, but they don't really need to be, you know, you don't really have to have a great conversation about the weather or what you, people did last. They're not going to, they don't care, you know, like show them that you're an expert on something, make them feel comfortable that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, and you know, you being a subject matter expert, um, is what's going to make them feel comfortable, not having the exact social cues that, re- you know, you think are required for that. And it's, you know, a lot of times you're empowering people that otherwise didn't think they could do something like that. Well, let's talk about the, I guess maybe the way to approach this is let's first of all, talk about the legacy sales tactics that you think should be avoided. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So I guess in in order to improve or change any kind of tactic, it's important to look at what has changed over time to really pivot from strategies that don't really hold up anymore today. So you have a ton of these proven, supposed proven uh, methodologies where they say they've been around for decades and they're the industry standard and best practice. And, you know, my issue with that is that people have changed, policies have changed, and technology has changed. So the best practice of yesterday might be exactly what you shouldn't or can't even be doing today. 
Mm. And you don't need to go back that far, but you look at the 80s, right? So sales was almost strictly in person for a lot of reasons. You're flying around for different meetings, a ton of whining and dining to impress people, all that kind of stuff. No limits to what you really could do to try and win over a client. And you're often buying their love to get their business in a sense, right? And so, you know, the reason is like that, you know, HR was pretty minuscule back then, both headcount and policy, and it's obviously grown over time. So there's now a lot of limitations on both sides, you know, the, the, the vending company and of course the buyers, you know, I mean, there's policies now where employees can't accept gifts or dinners over a very small amount. And you know, basically, the, the short answer is music stopped when Toby Flanderson entered the building, right? So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a whole different landscape out there. Um, and then another, I guess, more recent thing is how the pandemic had permanently changed how initial meetings are done. We learned that we can very quickly vet things over an initial video conference, you know, for a first meeting at least. Uh, very rarely are we, are we flying out for these types of things. So uh, again, the, the dynamic has changed quite a bit. And so I guess because of that, I'll give, I'll give an example. Right? You know, so something that most people can agree on. I get PowerPoint is probably one of the worst things that has ever been unleashed on humanity. <laughs> it's probably its own pandemic. You know, it's uh, we have now that we have more Zoom meetings, we get to have even more PowerPoint. Um, and I don't think anybody's excited about that, to be honest with you. The last thing anybody wants to be is mundane when interacting with a prospective client. And when was the last time somebody bought a solution because they loved the 30-minute PowerPoint presentation that they had to sit through before the engineer took over and showcased the actual product, you know, via like a live demo? Mm-hmm. Um, so my favorite, and this is my favorite. So like when a, a sales rep is kicking things off by saying something to the effect of, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just get through these slides really quickly. And of course, it's never quick, real quickly, and then turn it over to my demo engineer so that they can demo, demonstrate the product, right? So imagine explicitly acknowledging that your audience doesn't want to sit through a 30-minute death by PowerPoint and still doing it. <laughs> There's nothing. I mean, look, I got to tell you, there's nothing wrong at all with skipping these false imprisonments for your audience. Put it this way. If you book an hour meeting with somebody or a group of people to showcase your solution, is the best portion of their attention span, tell me, John, is it going to be their first 30 minutes or is it going to be the back half? Mm. What's going to be the best attention? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. You're taking all the energy out of the room. Exactly. So you're, you know, put the stuff they came to see as close to the beginning as possible. Right. And that's not to say, look, it's not to say don't have a slide deck. It, you know, one shouldn't exist. I'm not saying that. Uh, some kind of documentation. But if every slide is instead a backup slide and you jump straight into the meat of the presentation and the demonstration, you can keep it interactive. And someone asks a question that a slide can answer. Oh, sure. Put it up on the screen. And people suddenly like PowerPoint once it's not a mandatory sit through. And instead, it's like, hey, Smart guy, you just asked such an important question. We have a slide that breaks this down even further, and we'll be providing this deck, by the way, in its entirety to all of you. And it comes off sharp, and better yet, when you do this, you don't probably don't even need the full hour that you booked. So one of two things are going to happen. You're going to have a lot more time for interactive opportunities through a more extended Q&A, you know, as the demo goes through or even after, where you're really establishing that trust and building relationships or you end 20 to 30 minutes early on a booked hour and they will remember and love you for life for just that alone. So it's uh it's a win-win no matter how you look at that. Well, and just to be uh, clear here, you, we're talking about mostly technology companies. I mean, that's, that's really where you spend your time with those type of clients, correct? That's correct. But a lot of this applies, you know, to just about anything. I mean, it, it is what are people doing, you know, so 
you know, you've got them, you've, you've booked their time for an hour. How do you, you know, just because you feel like you have to get through something doesn't mean you should. Um, and so it's all about reading the room and that, and that really does apply, you know, technology is my focus, but that really does apply to a lot of different things. And I do think the slides are a crutch in a lot of ways and that people can really do a lot better things with that time that just, it just takes up so much time, so much valuable time, so much of people's best time that I think that it just should be looked at a little bit differently. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep from rolling in the floor laughing here because I've been, you know, one of those 18 people in a conference room with the man you know, in corporate with the mandatory PowerPoint that people have struggled with for weeks prior to that. Right. And by coming in, in that way, you're really, uh, by definition, it's all about you. It's not about the client, right? I mean, by definition, because you spent all this time on what you're all about, as opposed to having a, just a human conversation about what that client's issues, problems, wants, needs, hopes are. You're exactly right. You know, it's the, you know, you show up and then you start presenting, like get through these slides, that kind of thing. And you haven't really done a proper discovery. You haven't really gotten the the, the room to really speak up and understand their pain points. And, uh, you know, you've got people that, you know, even if you know, they're junior in sales, some people do it a long time. They feel like, if they're not talking or controlling the room, they're not doing their job. And it's quite the opposite now. I mean, people really want to make this interactive and give them a chance. You know, so the worst thing you can hear is you spend all this time on a PowerPoint slide and they're like, okay, well, can we just see the demo? I mean, like, you know, it's, and then they get, you get through that and then you demo and you touch on things that maybe they didn't care about. And there's other stuff that your product can do that they do. And why? Because you had to fill it with all this stuff where these are times you could have been discovering which parts of the product they really needed. And so, you know, you, you kind of backed yourself into a corner there. Yeah. So. Well, and wow. I'll, I'll give you another example of yeah, like, please. Uh, of like, you know, so sort of like legacy things, right? Oh, you know, the book says at eight, the, the eight touch point rule, right? The sales supposed experts say an average of eight touches are needed in order to close a sale. I mean, does that really hold up today? I mean, I don't know about you, but like the people, most people I know um, can't stand being in a sales sequence. I mean, forget the blatantly automated emails with the cheesy subject lines like, are you okay? We haven't heard from you after emailing you several times. Should we send for help? I'm not, I'm not even talking about that. But when you have reps calling or emailing, so this is you know, after the presentation where just somebody, you're in somebody's pipeline, just checking in to see if you've reviewed our quote and if you have any questions or did you get your 2023 budget approved or are you ready to move forward? You know, look, if they weren't blown away by what was shown to them, do you really think that these touch points are going to make a difference because the sales Bible says so? I mean, at least they can rest easy knowing that you're only going to do it like, what, six more times before finally leaving them alone, right? Because it's eight touch points if they're lucky, right? So, you know, it's just, you simplify the first meeting, you make it less of a pitch and more of an informative discussion and demonstration. You don't need a series of follow-up touches in most cases. I almost think that a lot of cases post-meeting or demo, you can wrap it up by sending an email with the slides that you didn't force them to sit through, send them a quote, okay, of course, and even tell them that you're happy to answer questions and out of respect for their time, you're not gonna constantly be checking up or you know pressuring them and assure them in that email or however they close that conversation that you are definitely interested in their business, but don't want to put them in a position where they have to make something up to get you to leave them alone while they decide. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. Like you don't ever want to be the person calling on somebody and they're trying to look for a reason to buy themselves time until the next time you're going to call them. You have just pigeonholed yourself as the sales guy. 
Well, but you have to have some follow-up, right? You absolutely so, do. So what's the right way to do it then? It has to be tactical, right? So you leave certain things in there. You know, you you obviously you can feel free to put somebody on your marketing list, you know, anything that's like opt-out or anything like that. So there's things out there that are um, you're giving out information. So as long as your marketing is doing its job, so I'm not, you know, I don't come from a marketing background. It's more on the sales side, but as long as you have strong enough marketing to uh, keep promoting what you're doing, you're going to start. And a part of that marketing is giving some good information away for free for anybody that's subscribed to you. You're going to constantly be reminding them anyway. And if they opt out of it, well, you've gotten your answer. If they if they say I don't want to see these emails anymore because you, you know and if, again if you're sending bad marketing emails that's a different problem but if you're sending informative stuff that they want to read about and you know, you have ways to do that without it just being a any update any update any update there's a lot of different ways to provide information and oh I, I know you mentioned something about this I just saw this article it might be just something that's organic that's like you know you're building a relationship with somebody and yeah they know you have a quote out there you know you have a quote out there, but you don't need to address it you know what I mean yeah yeah. I think what you're saying is just be real, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's common sense, but it's so often forgotten, right? right. People- yeah. Wow. Great words from Adam Scharfer. Adam is not in sales folks because he's not a salesperson. I love that. That's, that's the, that's the best title and company name <laughs> I've run into in a while, Adam. Well, I mean, so titles are uh, titles are BS, right? Let's let's just be honest. I mean, you run a small company. Do I really need to call myself the chief executive officer of Not in Sales LS? A big deal, you know what I mean? Like, you know, let let's let's get over ourselves. You know, the VP of this. A lot of titles, you know, nobody really cares about your title. And I just thought, you know, something a little bit different. You know, my business card will have the business name and it'll have my name on it. And it'll say not a salesperson. Well, you're gonna remember that. You're not going to remember like founder and CEO of some, some business you ever heard of. So I just wanted to do something a little bit different. I love it. I love it. Let, let's talk about, I guess, building a good business relationship because relationships are, are they're, they're the currency of business. They're, they still are, whether they're virtual or, or in person. Um, talk about how you define that, how you build it. So, um, so basically, I guess, you know, it really comes down to what, you know, what is a, what is a good relationship versus not such a great relationship. And so, you know, you're looking to build, you're looking to build or grow a business, you know, you're a CEO, you're a VP of sales or a salesperson. And um, you really, you, you really don't want to be um, approaching it with the mentality of a seller meeting with a buyer at every encounter. So, you look at it as when people open up their calendars for you, you treat it as an opportunity first and foremost to learn. You know, we talked about this a little bit. You can glean as much as you can by researching, you know, the company and like what they've done, but nothing can truly replace interactive discovery as we talked about. Answer questions directly. Look, if a feature in your product or your service is something isn't supported and you know it probably won't be in the future, just say so instead of doing that whole, well, it's on our roadmap dance. I mean, if you're as clear and direct about what you're offering doesn't do as what it does do, you're earning that trust. You're building that relationship in the process. People do appreciate that. A simple, mm-hmm. no, we don't do that. That's just not our focus, that, that kind of thing. And then for existing clients, I mean, you know, yeah, you, you want to grow your relationship and obviously have a longstanding relationship and do more and more for, you know, each of your clients, right? I mean, you want to keep your existing and existing clients and build into them. So for, for existing clients, don't treat every meeting that you're invited to as an opportunity to further upsell products or services. 
you know, if you want them to keep including you, you don't really want to be doing that unless the conversation directly invokes it or at least highly implies it, right? An invitation to do so. So remember, you want to be partners, not just sellers talking to buyers. And if you're positioning yourself that way, whenever you have airtime, they're just going to assume, presume, I guess, that that's the extent of what you see them as, it's just buyers. And not everything has to be billed either. You can give away some really helpful information without running the meter, so to speak. I mean, don't assume that you're giving the bar away either, because when you're doing this, you're a trusted advisor who's maintaining a good relationship as peers, instead of appearing like opportunistic. You know, when you get to a certain status with them, they're going to be the ones asking for a quote with you having to even suggest it. And those are the quotes that don't need eight touch points to complete. They move really fast. So I can hear some people, I think, might be thinking, okay, so that advice makes sense to me, but Adam, here's the reality since you deal in reality. Um, I'm on a sales quota. I mean, I've got, I've got to make it happen. Right. Yeah. So, so what, what's this tension between not always trying to upsell and, and trying to build relationships versus I got to, I got to hit the bar. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I guess, you know, so part of it is, um, you know, so if you're a leader, of a tech technology company, right? And you have it, you're trying to build a team. So I think it's what's important first of, first and foremost is to trust yourself because you created this, you have an offering, trust your team and trust your and trust what you're offering more than trying to create a perfect sales process because those processes in excess can lead to inorganic and transactional conversations instead of trust and relationship building. So Okay, so if your client-facing personnel are constantly trying to keep adhering to overly needy sets of internal processes, look, you might have a perfect CRM filled with all kinds of so-called good data, but when the time is right for them to shine, where where are your sales team's heads going to be? Are they going to be pursuing maybe a not-so-good fit opportunity because it's already in the system and they fear having to share that opportunity is lost on the next internal cadence call? I mean, you know, sometimes people just keep opportunities going for their man. They're they're managing up, and they're more worried about what how they're going to look in their next internal meeting than they they put all their energy into that than to worrying about how they're actually coming across during the actual meetings that count, which are with the clients. So, what could they have been doing instead of trying to force something because they feel backed into that corner? I mean, to be fair, no sane leader is going to wake up in the morning, look in themselves in the mirror, and say, "Ah, I really want to be a horrible ogre to my team today." Right? I mean. <laughs> But when their processes are, I guess, ogreish in nature, it doesn't really matter how nice and delicate their personality is. You've got your team focused on internal bureaucracy more than with the clients, right? And so I think that a lot of what you're talking about can be solved if a lot of that pressure is taken off the team to feel like they have to present, they have to be more on their game for their own management than they have to be for their clients. It should be the other way around. Okay, so let's talk to the sales leaders, sales managers. Um, I think you act in that role as, as on an outsourced basis. Am I correct about that? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Okay. So we'll get more into that in just a second. But um, that sales manager needs—they're responsible for those re, those relationships getting deepened and turned into revenue. That's a, that's a soft measure, right? I mean, how, how much have you been out there, um, building those relationships that ultimately are going to lead to long-term success for the business? How, how do you monitor that and, and, and make sure that people are successful at that? 
And that's a great question, honestly, because a lot I feel a lot of business owners have that that same concern or VPSL, whatever. I mean, you that they're tasked with doing that. Well, here's 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 part of the problem in the beginning, right? I think a lot of businesses are too quick to have a dedicated perform that sales management function before they have the kind of headcount to justify it, right? Um, a lot of mistakes in I think a lot of the mistakes in the relationship building process between those who are selling um, and their perspective, you know, to their prospective clients are because most of these sellers, their energy is, you know, prioritizing the needs of the manager or the CEO, right? We talked about that. But um, I think that most sales managers are well-meaning. They often come from a career of being salespeople. Um, and by the way, not all not all the best salespeople meet the best sales managers. And we know that it's just just not always the, the the right, but a lot of them come from being salespeople. And as a result, they'll want to apply what worked for them in a previous era in today's landscape. So again, we have these, these cadence calls where you have these internal stand-up calls where you go through the pipeline and you're expected to speak line by line about every opportunity, when it's going to close, how much revenue can be expected from it. These are extremely stressful for your team and often degenerate into these prompt impromptu contests of who has the most going on, you know, you or your other guy, you know, the other guy in sales, all that stuff. And I understand that business owners, as I mentioned, have need to forecast their revenue and they need to be able to show a healthy pipeline for a variety of reasons. I mean, hang on, we're going to get our credit pulled if we don't, right? That right. kind of stuff. Sure. It is important. Um, but they have to consider that that creates a less than desirable interaction with the sales team and their clients. They get in this mentality these, of what can I bring home for, you know, from today's call or presentation to show up at tomorrow's internal call. Uh, and, and, and it's really challenging for people to organically build trust and relationships when they're under, under such pressure. And so you go back to smaller companies, they're hiring full-time sales managers too soon, right? Because and a lot of times, usually because the CEO needs to get out of that role or somebody in a, at a C-level just to focus on strategic things, help grow it in other ways. But often in their haste to do so, they don't realize that with the right team, they don't need someone doing that full time. You know, if you hire a dedicated babysitter for that and it creates unnecessary, it basically creates unnecessary churn and distraction for those who need to be most focused on their relationships with the clients. And so, you know, my solution to that is, you know, you have to be smart in who you're hiring, you know, into your team. But, you know, when you have a small headcount, a small team under 10, you don't necessarily need somebody full time watching what they're doing, how many calls they're making, a lot of stuff. You, you know, a lot of that stuff's automated by the CRMs anyway. A lot that's doing a lot of the work for you. And, you know, it's really not the fault of the person that's taking that role on full time. But like if they've been tasked with doing that and they're on the hook for it, you know, look, some of the worst micromanagers, the first ones that say, I'm not a micromanager. They come out without even asking if they're a micromanager or not. Like the, in my experience, anybody that tells me without even asking, I'm not a micromanager. I'm not a micromanager. They turn out to be the most, the biggest micromanagers out there, right? It's just <laughs> nobody asked, but okay, let me know. And so, yeah, but they feel compelled because they're they're in this sort of spot where they're they're reporting directly to a CEO or a C level, and they have to make the numbers work. And so what I'm saying is, you don't need somebody around the clock doing that. If you have the right team, they know what they need to be doing. The numbers are right there. It's clearly spelt out in their comp plans, which also should be written effectively to properly incentivize them. And you go from there. And and that's really where you you come in. I alluded to it earlier that you you. Uh, your services are really as a fractional uh, chief sales officer, even though you're not in sales, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 sales leader, whatever you want to call it in the organization, right? That you, that you you're really that that outsourced um, a resource 
to be able to drive that part of the business without, as you say, having to commit uh, a full salary to that role. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not just, it's not just the cost savings. It is, it is also just creating a dynamic where um, this, the sales team themselves manage their own relationships and their book of business. And they don't have to um, follow a certain metric of, oh, you have a call with them. Well, what are you going to get out of that? Like, are you going to talk to the decision maker? We'll make sure that they get the quote. We'll make sure like when you, again, when you do that, you're basically putting them in the mindset of, if I don't walk out, out of this call, having these boxes checked for this manager, I will have not done it the right way. But what's the opportunity cost there? You might not have done it. You might not have, quote unquote, been yourself in that meeting. Right. You're doing something that is you know, kind of forcing you to extract things or get some sort of uh, consent you know, out of the meeting and then handing it over the next call. How'd it go? How'd the call go? What did you get? Like, what's it looking like? Is it going to close next week? That kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, great words here from Adam Scharfer. Adam, we're, we're, coming down to time, but I want to make sure that our audience understands the types of companies that you work with. We mentioned uh, earlier that you work mostly with technology companies. Are there certain uh, subsectors within technology that are more important for you or not? And size of companies, what size companies do you work with? Um, I would say the, the the size of the company is probably more important than necessarily the type of technology. I mean, you know, technology can be a lot of different things, but you know, a lot of the ideals that I've been speaking about really apply to most most different places that are trying to grow. You know, I've been targeting a lot of smaller companies. You know, ten or you know, basically you know, ten to 50, 50 employees, something like that, where they've got something. There's clearly uh, they've got something you know, still in that startup range or small company looking to grow. Um, and just can't really, you know, it's like, we have everything right. Why isn't it working with sales? You know, we're going through a bunch of different salespeople. We tried this, we tried that. And a lot of times, um, you know, they're looking for, um, they're looking to, to emulate something that's not them. So you have this, look, you have this unique, innovative product, right? You spend the time uh, building something like that. And, and, and then yet you follow the book on something with the sales process around it. You have to be creative, um, you know, you have to be creative in the way you build that 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 sales presence as well and tailor it to what your offering is as opposed to taking you know taking something that's been done by a large company and then just trying to scale it down it doesn't really work that way in a like to like fashion and so yeah to answer your question i would say on smaller companies 10 10 to 50 employees are is, is really i guess the sweet spot in that when you start getting bigger and all that stuff then you can start looking at justifying you know more oversight on things right you got a lot of moving parts that kind of stuff so and there's a point where you know it does make sense to have somebody in charge of sales and marketing explicitly day to day but i think that they that a lot of times small businesses jump the gun a little bit quickly commit too early to that Sorry about that. They, that? they commit too early to that function. Too early, yep. that, exactly. Yep. Almost yep. to their death. Correct. Yeah. Got it. And, you know, and I, and another thing I would say is uh, just as a, a piece of advice is like, look for, you know, kind of going back to the beginning, you know, look for hidden talent from within. You know, you have a lot of these engineers that are doing the actual demonstrating of a solution for a pitch and they have no clue that they're making the deal happen, right? They're the ones that say not in sales, right? Or they're, they're not in sales. Um, and that's not to say that you as a CEO need to run around at your next all hands meeting screaming, everyone sells, everyone sells like a lunatic. I mean, that's, but you know, <laughs> everything is, you know, everything's relative, right? If you're a small business though, you don't need to create an explicit sales organization. You know, you have an advantage 
um, to at, 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 you know as a business at an early or small stage to blend some of those functions and do it differently, stand out a bit from all these you know boring places trying to emulate an IBM org chart for their startup. It just doesn't it just doesn't fit that way. Yeah. Wow. This has been terrific, Adam. Uh, Adam Scharfer, not in sales is the name of his company. Uh, Adam, such great insights. And I can't imagine that there aren't some folks that having heard this interview, uh, don't want to be in touch with you. So let's give them directions on how they can find you. Oh, sure. Um, it's a, it's an easy URL, uh, not in sales.com. And you can find me at Adam at not in sales.com. So, um, Try to keep things simple in that in that category. Uh, feel free to reach out. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely want to thank you, John, for having me as a guest today, and your audience for <laughs> putting up with me as well. Absolutely. Uh, we, we I look forward to having you again soon. This has been fantastic, Adam Sharfer, folks. Oh, before I forget, John, sorry, sorry yeah. special. That's my man, uh, Greg Burkhalter, the LinkedIn guy for introducing me to you and uh, helping me redo my LinkedIn page, getting all that sorted. He's a really talented and helpful guy. So I just wanted to, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him. That's a great shout out because uh, Greg Burkhalter really is the LinkedIn guy. So uh, yeah, thank you for that. And thank you, Greg, for introducing Adam and I. This has been a lot of fun. Adam Scharfer, again, folks, with Not In Sales, he's not a salesperson at Not In Sales. Uh, I love it. Adam Scharfer, thanks again for coming on. We appreciate you. Thank you as well, John. And folks, once again, I'm John Ray. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Business Leaders. If you want to know more about this series, you can find it on businessleadersradio.com. And do us, do me a favor. You, our listeners, have done this repeatedly with shows like this. You've heard a business leader that you particularly like. You've shared the show on social media, and with others that um, just privately that you think need to hear this uh, uh, particular business leader, in this case, Adam, that we've had today. So continue to do that because that's how we get the word out about the great business leaders that we feature here on Business Radio X as our mission is to be the voice of business uh, and feature business leaders that ordinarily don't get heard on major media. So thank you for your support in that regard. So once again, I'm John Ray. Thank you again to Adam Scharfer for joining us on Business Leaders Radio.